Welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Ryan Knight, and our guest today is Chris Armitage. Chris is a U.S. Air Force veteran and a candidate for Congress in Washington's 5th Congressional District. Chris, welcome to Amped Up. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Excited to be here. Uh, I've been following you on Twitter for a while. Love the work you're doing. And, uh, you know, we big pharma and Wall Street banks might have record profits, but um, you know what? Not a lot of people get de-radicalized or unradicalized right now after getting screwed over. And so I'm really optimistic about this movement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we beat the machine with people power. And uh, the progressive movement right now, we've got the people on our side. Um, you know, and I, I'm from Washington, uh, so uh, it's exciting to see that there are progressive candidates uh, that are getting out there uh, in this fight and, uh, you know, fighting back against the corporate greed that is destroying our country. I, I, you're the second uh, candidate from Washington I've had on the podcast. I also had uh, Rebecca Parsons on last month, who was fantastic. So this is it's exciting. Um, since this is your first time on the show, why don't you give uh, our listeners a, a little bit about your background and why you're running for Congress? Sure. Uh, you know, so I come from a union family. My dad was a member of a trade union when he did HVAC repair uh, and then was a member of UTU when he worked for the railroad. My grandfather was a, a Teamster delivery driver. So I come from a pretty blue collar background. I joined the military right out of high school. Um, and, you know, that was an opportunity for me to get out there and get, uh, you know, education without a lot of debt, uh, get universal single payer health care, because that's what active duty military have. I'm not talking about the VA, I'm talking about active duty military have completely free universal health care from hospitals to clinics on base. And there are millions of them and their family members. And that was some incredible health care where I didn't have to worry about my doctor getting me in and out as quick as possible so they could bill more. And they didn't have to fill out a bunch of paperwork for me to go get an x-ray or, or get an exam or get a test. They just say, go to the third floor, or get the test. Um, we had universal housing as well. And so uh, these were all great things I experienced in the military. I was security forces. So I worked as a first responder and I'm one operator. I went on two non-combat deployments as a base defense operations controller, worked with some transnational multi-agency uh, uh, different groups and on different missions. I then left the military and uh, with a, I was one of the, I, I actually earned a master's in Homeland Security while I was active duty, which sounds pretty intense, but I specialized in disaster preparedness and emergency response, the FEMA side of things, emergency management. And once I left the military with that great resume, I pursued stand-up comedy full-time, which had always been a passion of mine. And so I wanted to turn my hobby into my profession. I started a business that got cannabis producers, processors, and distributors to sponsor comedy shows. And I'm only funny for about five to 10 minutes uh, at a time. And so uh, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd book, I'd book hey, people more, who were funny. than me. I'm, I'm like barely funny. So that's like, <laughs> you got me beat. There. It takes years. It, unless you're Dave Chappelle, it takes years to be funny for 10 minutes on stage reliably. Um, but I got to perform in theaters and, uh, you know, make a living and, and book comedians who were much funnier for much longer than me as headliners and, and meet them. And now I'm running for Congress because I just know we can't sit on the sidelines anymore. And, you know, my background in emergency preparedness and my background as a first responder um, and my blue collar background, my lived experience and my professional experience, just um, I knew that this was a way that I could 
try and make a difference right now instead of just letting another milk toast, um, you know, establishment type uh, half-heartedly run and not actually be the kind of candidate that I've always wanted to vote for. I'm in this race because I'm I want to be the type of candidate I would have liked to vote for. Mm. I love that your background is in, in emergency preparedness because our country is in an emergency right now on many fronts, you know. And uh, I also like that you're about you were in the military because. I mean, there's nothing more selfless than serving your country. And we need that kind of service and dedication in Congress right now. People that actually want to serve the country and serve our communities who who are hurting and who are struggling. Um, I want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about uh, this past week, because this was a big week for the progressive movement. We, we saw huge wins for AOC, Mondaire Jones and Jamal Bowman. Uh, whose win over Elliot Engel, uh, who had been endorsed by Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, and James Clyborne, pretty much the entire Democratic establishment, it kind of signaled that the progressive movement is getting stronger and coming for the corporate wing of, of the party. Uh, but I think what's even more significant is what's happening in Kentucky. All the votes aren't counted yet, but Charles Booker just took the lead over Amy McGrath, and he ran this insurgent campaign by uh, unapologetically fighting for Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, and universal basic income. He single-handedly is dispelling the centrist kind of corporatist myth that you cannot campaign on a bold progressive agenda in a red state or a red district. Uh, and anyone who looks at polling would already, know, would already know this because progressive policies are supported by the majority of the American electorate. Uh, you, Chris, are in a purple to slash red district yourself. Are you seeing progressive policies resonating with the voters in your district? And is it time for progressives to run everywhere? Absolutely. It's just about messaging. You know, Fox News does their thing. So does MSNBC about tearing down these wildly popular ideas. But I've been to 25 towns across this district over the last 14 months and held events, multiple events in each of them pre-COVID. And I've spoken to people who've never spoken to anyone running for office. I've been in towns because uh, our, our district is very large. It's 25% larger geographically than the state of New Jersey. Wow. And so there are towns where they say we're worried about putting up a Democrat sign because it might get shot at. And I go to those towns that Democrats don't go to. And I talk to everybody and including, you know, just whoever comes to events, we ask Democrat groups to invite and progressive groups to invite uh, members of Republican groups out there too, because they're not used to getting visited by someone uh, running for Congress either. And these policies are popular. I've met plenty of uh, ranchers and farmers and small business owners and lifelong conservatives who have lost the business they've had for generations or uh, lost their livelihood or lost their financial stability because they got cancer or they're, you know, and, and, and when you talk to anybody and you say, Hey, you know, what's terrible is America is one of the few countries on earth where you can lose your child to cancer and then also end up bankrupt because of it. And nobody's okay with that. So why do we still have this terrible system that we have right now? Yeah. Well, and one thing about, smaller areas and our rural communities is is you know this move towards corporatizing everything and and just the the consolidation of all these giant corporations in the last few decades that's hurt small businesses more than anything else and so we need people who are not fighting for these giant corporations but actually representing small businesses are you seeing that like small business owners that, that they need a fair shake 
Well, that's exactly it. Uh, to them, they've been told that to have a D next to your name is to be anti-business. Well, you know what? The last uh, the last farm bill that went out, 70% of the subsidies went to the top 10% most profitable farms. Right. What logical person thinks that that makes sense? I want small family farms, small businesses. We see that with the bailout that was given for businesses. Exactly. It went to the donors. It didn't. It went to the people with the most money. Right now, big pharma, Wall Street banks, they're making more profits than ever while we're more broke than ever. And then they have more say in the political system. And these communities, they get that that you can break through the Fox News or MSNBC bubble by sitting down with people, listening to them and addressing what they're concerned about. And you find they end up agreeing. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now, the problem, I have a lot of conservative family and the argument that, that I can kind of, the one argument I've made that they'll hear and they listen to because they're so worried about big government and small, you know, their whole thing is this. And I go, it's not about, it's not about bigger government or smaller government. It's about who our government really works for. And right now we have a government that works for giant corporations and the plutocrats and the billionaire class and the top 1%. And we desperately need a government that works for the people, the small businesses and the 99%. It's really that simple to me. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's exactly it. And, you know, you can appeal to people's, you know, people, people look at the past, you know, Trump talks about make America great again. Well, you know, if you're a, a working class white person, 1958 to 1964 was a better time for working class white people than it is now. That was when the middle class was the largest in this country. My grandfather was able with an entry level job to make enough money to support a family of five on a single income and have a car and, and, um, and have a house. And while there are other communities, marginalized and impacted communities that that was a terrible time for, for a lot of Americans, they say, why can't things be how they were? Well, guess what? It's gotten more corrupt since then. The influence of money over politics has become more intense. The gap in income, income inequality has has massively increased. So there are a lot of policies from uh, the 50s and 60s that we absolutely should institute. Uh, you know, I mean, there were Republican presidents. Nixon founded the EP, created the EPA. You know, there were Republicans who would create new agencies to address a problem. It's not just about dismantling things. Sometimes you need to address a problem and the, and the private industry isn't always going to be the one that do, the group that does that most effectively because the profit incentive doesn't always align. In fact, it only incidentally aligns with what's in the best interest of working people. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, you know, Trump, the thing with Trump is he was sneaky. He said the system was rigged, which he was right. But then when he got elected, he went in and he rigged the system even more for corporations and billionaires when he passed that GOP tax scam bill. So again, it was like he, you know, he kind of baited it. He, he baited and switched people. He kind of spoke to their grievance, but then now he's actually made things even worse and turned Americans against Americans. And we're not tackling the root of the problem, which is right now, two, two people, two billionaires hold more wealth than half of our nation's population. <laughs> I mean, that's just not a sustainable economic system where two people own more than half of our country's wealth. Like it's broken. And I think that both Republicans and corporate Democrats are part of why it's broken because they continue to put their corporate donors over the interests of working people and, and of the middle class and of the poor and of the working class. And that's the problem. 
Yeah, well, you know, I remember my, when I saw so I'm five foot three and both my brothers are six foot tall. I'm the middle of three boys. And when we were growing up, you know, I'd, I'd have to do a little bit more work to get my plate of food, but my, compared to my brothers, but uh, my mom would always say nobody gets seconds until everybody gets their first serving. And I think as a nation, those are the, that's, that's real family values. I like to talk about family values and you know what supporting family values means? That means supporting income levels high enough where if you choose to have a family or if you don't, you can actually raise them and have a savings account and and have economic opportunity. You can start a business if you want. Um, You know, family values means everybody has health care. If you're not fortunate enough to be born into a family that can afford the most expensive health care system on earth, um, then why do you deserve to die or to be miserable in your childhood? Why do we have kids whose parents can't afford to get them glasses? Does that sound like family values? Right. And when you speak to that, that's the winning message. That's what people are scared about. I mean, that's why our campaign doesn't have, um, you know, support from uh, some <laughs> high level Democrat organizations, even though I'm out here putting in work with a D next to my name that surely brings new people, new energy uh, around. And it's just because uh, if you profited off the status quo, why would you want to change it? There you go. And that's essentially it. These broken systems, they are they the reason both parties don't want to fix them is because these broken, corrupt systems are working for their corporate donors and they're actually profiting off these systems that are hurting the American people, our healthcare system. Right. It's a for profit system that is hurting the American people, our policing system. Our, our for-profit prison system, you know, our economic system. It's not, you know, you, you can't, a, a living wage today doesn't support a family of three, whereas, like you said before, it could. So, um, you know, mm. these are the kind of problems, these systemic problems that it seems like both parties have let kind of just stopped even wor- considering because, again, they're only working for their corporate donors. I want to shift the conversation and, and talk about kind of, what you were saying about the Democratic Party and, and kind of the more centrist corporate wing of the Democratic Party, because right now their entire theory of the case is that Trump is responsible for everything that is wrong with America. And if we just get rid of him, then everything will go back to normal again. But I think this is dangerous because I would argue that Trump didn't even bring us to this moment of despair. I would argue that 400 years of systemic racism and predatory capitalism brought us to this moment of despair. And we won't save this decaying nation by just getting rid of Trump. It's going to take so much more than that. We have to also fight for systemic changes and uh, dismantling some of these corrupt systems and replacing them with better systems. Just getting rid of Trump and ignoring the systemic rot means that nothing will fundamentally change and we'll be back here in four years or eight years with an even worse version of Trump who's actually competent. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? So I was <laughs> I was on the phone recently uh, with someone in my district, and they asked me if I was going to support Nancy Pelosi once elected. And I said, I, I will support policies that are in the best interest of the people, no matter where they come from. Sometimes people you don't like come up with a policy you do like, and sometimes people you do like come up with a policy you don't like. Um, and that's what I see this, this it's, it's just, it, there's a lot more money to be made in uh, naked partisanship mm. in just saying we're the good team. You're on the good team. The other guys are bad. 
you know, in past races, folks out here have said things like flip the flip the fifth blue. We were actually on the red to blue list last cycle. I'm the only Medicare for all candidate running against a Republican in a district that was on the 2018 red to blue list. And so there's a real test of Medicare for all versus um, uh, the Republican Party. But uh, I completely agree with you, first of all, that this is a trend that has accelerated, but it's a trend and it needs to be not reversed, not slowed down, because that's what I see moderate. Just moderation is morally vacuous when it just exists to be between two points. Mm. Moderate, uh, you know, in the when you look at the Civil War, uh, moderates were against treating slaves poorly. They weren't for abolition. And um, so if we're going to fix these systems, it's going to take forgetting about naked partisanship and actually addressing problems people face, even if it makes you look far left, far right, far this, far that. It, it, it doesn't matter where it puts you on this imaginary political spectrum because, you know, they, they've tried to convince us that we fit into one box or the other. Well, the fact is my feelings on guns have nothing to do with my feelings on taxes, have nothing to do with my feelings on abortion. These are all completely separate issues. Mm. And we need to have respect for the American public if we're going to fix uh, these, the, all the trends that brought us to where we are today. Hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the other problem I have with the this theory of the case that all we have to do is get rid of Trump and everything will magically be OK is that it lets corporate Democrats off the hook and doesn't demand that they actually have to do anything except not be as bad as Trump, which is a pretty low bar. Right. And sadly, that is kind of what Biden's entire campaign message has been about. Right. That Trump is bad and, and that Biden is not Trump. And uh, my whole thing is like, okay, great. If you think Trump's so bad, what the hell are you going to do about it? What, what are you fighting for? Don't tell me what you're against. Yeah, most of us are kind of against a lot of what Trump stands for. But tell me what you're fighting for. And, and this, to me, again, it lies at the heart of, of what is wrong with the corporate wing of the Democratic Party, because they aren't really fighting for anything except their corporate donors and maintaining the status quo. What are your thoughts on this and, and the precedent that it sets moving forward that all the Democratic Party has to do is not be as bad as the Republicans? Like, how will we how will how will that ever change anything if, if we're not demanding better than this? I'm going to say something real spicy here, Ryan, real, real spicy. Uh, Donald Trump's the best thing that's ever happened to the Democratic Party because their fundraising is through the roof because there's right. so much anger against him. The bar has never been lower and their funding's never been higher. And that's not something we're seeing in this campaign because we're not running against Donald Trump. We're running for the people and Wait, there's less money running on issues which, and, and policies, <laughs> which politics is supposed to be about. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's that's the reality of it. These whether it's the Democrats or Republicans, these are organizations that aim to fund themselves and cement individual positions of power within those parties. Yep just as, as, a, as a higher priority than actually getting policies passed that are going to improve the lives of people. In fact, even arguably what the Republican Party is doing or the Democratic establishment, when they pass rules and laws that we that hurt us, it's not because they want to hurt us. It's because they're cementing their power. They're just they're, that's that's what they're fighting for. Now, what I, I what I want people to know is that if you decide to support this campaign, whether it be volunteering or donating or however that turns out, 
Um, I'm support. I've created something called the Marketplace of Ideas Act that I want to propose in Congress and uh, diplomatically build support for. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter how Republican or Democrat I'm told an area is. It's wildly popular. And the Marketplace of Ideas Act aims to uh, break the stranglehold, the duopoly of the two party system. I want uh, political parties to not be deciding the future of our country, but the people to be deciding the future of our country. And that means creating, even if we mainly end up with two parties, there should be competition for which, you know, which partnerships those parties have. I want to see the working families, the Green Party, even the Libertarian Party and any other parties become much more influential in our system because just like in a marketplace, uh, you, you want more competition. The Republicans and Democrats have been able to create this stranglehold on our system because they don't have competition. They both several decades ago picked out their political lanes and said, OK, we're the Democrats. So we're in these socioeconomic groups. That's what we're that's our demos. And the Republicans said, all right, this part of America is our demos and that's who we're sticking with. And so um I think that's how we end up actually getting our system on track. Also part of the Marketplace of Ideas Act guarantees ballot access on federal ballots for third and fourth party candidates, as well as uh, instituting ranked choice voting nationally and uh, provides grants for down ballot races at the state, local, city, even tribal levels um, to uh, to fund use of different types of representative systems as well beyond just ranked choice voting. Let's uh, let's give support to have true great American experiments again to revolutionize and strengthen our electoral process to be more aligned with the needs and desires of the American public. I love that. And here's what how crazy this is. And I'm, no joke, I have little sections for our podcast mapped out before. And literally the next section is about the two party duopoly. Like how <laughs> amazing is that? that? Like you just proposed. <laughs> The most incredible policy, which I is, I can swear because it's my podcast, which I fucking love. <laughs> this a policy that goes right to the heart of what really is broken, and 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 getting the American people out of this this two party duopoly system. Because I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I, you know, um, I I think we've been stuck in this two party duopoly for decades now, and both parties, like you said, are bought off and beholden to the corporate donors. Uh, so our politics has just become about political theater and politicians hurling insults at each other and scapegoating the other side. This is then magnified even worse by our corporate media, where you have Fox News basically indoctrinating conservatives and blaming Democrats all day. And then you have CNN and MSNBC indoctrinating liberals and basically blaming Trump all day. Meanwhile, we're all fighting each other and blaming each other while the ruling class is getting richer and richer. And the working class is falling even further and further behind. The people don't win when politicians hurl insults at each other. The people win when politicians fight for policies that will transform their lives and our country for the better. What are your thoughts on what our politics has become and how we move forward so we can build a better America than this? Because we all deserve better than this. Democrats, independents and Republicans deserve a better nation than this. Well, I think most people, like I said, they used to say flip the fifth blue here. And I always felt like that was telling other voters who didn't consider themselves just standard Democrats that 
the the red flame was the red team was going to lose the game of capture the flag and then the blue team would have the flag and then half the district would feel like losers i, I guess is right is that mindset um i i'm i'm going to say something here that some you know it's i guess that it's it's it doesn't raise as much money but it gains more real support and more votes um there are people in this district who have my bumper sticker as a medicare for all green new deal candidate next to their trump bumper sticker that's the truth. Um, I, I'm going to be the first Democrat some people have ever voted for. Wow. And that's that's awesome. Well, there you know what, though, that's the thing is that that, you know, my team versus your team mentality doesn't do it. I I've had. But it shows uh, that you're breaking through it like like yep. I hear something like that. And, and yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Maybe some liberals who are listening to the podcast could be offended by that. But like. I think that is so cool that you with a strong message for Medicare for all to say, you know, basically save our people and a green new deal to save our planet. You were able to get Trump supporters to put your bumper sticker on their car. Like that is to me, that's brilliant. That's what politics is about. It's not about just speaking to your tribe. It's about reaching out and, and bridging gaps and, 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 and fighting for policies that will get everyone on board. Yeah. I, I, I wish I didn't have to pick uh, a party, to be honest with you. And again, that's another thing that might ruffle some feathers. But um, I, I I don't want people to feel like uh, they're losing their identity by voting for me mm. <laughs> or that they're being shamed or I, I don't voter shame. Uh, mm. I mean, when I you know, when I when I when I speak to folks who, who kind of come over and decide they're going to vote for me and I'll be the only D they vote for on the ballot. Um, I mean, it's not just because, you know, I don't just say Medicare for all because the people who are sold on Medicare for all are already sold for it. I talk about, hey, I had this health care when I was in the military mm. and it was amazing. And you know what? Before Nixon got a bunch of money from GlaxoSmithKline, you remember the good old days you talk about where where uh, doctors would do house calls? Yeah, that's not profitable. Before Nixon got that GlaxoSmithKline money, health care was not for profit. Nixon supported essentially a, a single payer healthcare system. A lot of people don't realize that. Nixon was, Joe Biden is more to the right of, of Richard Nixon. And Donald Trump is even more to the right. That's what, like, our political system has just been going to the right. When I say to the right, economically, it's just been going to, you know, it's a system that props up corporations and billionaires and hurts the workers. Like, I told someone the other day, we don't have a labor party in America. Most countries, like if you go to Europe, there's always a, a party that represents the workers. And then there's a party that kind of represents big business. In America, we don't have that. Both major parties represent big business and Wall Street. No party represents the worker. That to me is what's wrong. That is the fundamental problem in America. We have to have a party that represents labor and the workers. And we don't have that. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, imagine we have so many millions of people working minimum wage jobs as servers in this country, in the service industry, um, that a strike with them would be so massive. But I'll tell you, um, I know we can get there, but it's going to happen down ballot. And, yeah. um, you know, someone someone mentioned, what was it? Uh, someone said, Charles Booker, it might have even been you, if, if Charles Booker gets elected and Shahid Buttar get elected, Shahid Buttar, uh, that that will even with a President Trump, that will do so much yep. for our movement because we'll really have those voices out there. I mean, I, you know, I'm running against a Republican and there's plenty of 
want to be advisors who come to me and tell me, stop talking about the issues, um, just give platitudes. And you know, what's funny is there, there's like a 20% sliver of truth in there, 10% that um, doesn't mean ditch your policies, but does mean address what people want. Like platitudes work for a lot of people because they do indicate what we would like to see the world as, but they don't solve our problems. Right. And so when I go to different communities, they say, I care about the cons. They say they care about the constitution. Okay. Let's talk about the constitution. The Patriot act is the biggest infringement on the first, second and fourth amendment rights of Americans that's ever been created. Our constitutional rights have been chipped away. And when here in, in Spokane, Washington, a bunch of a um, uh, bunch of white guys in wearing uh, wearing um, open carrying pistols and and, uh, and ARs, they walked into the uh, up to the city hall and were allowed to peaceably be there. And even you know, there's some yelling and that kind of stuff, but uh, it wasn't too intense. And I'm actually I'm okay with them doing that. What I'm not okay with is if that if they were people of color, I don't think it wouldn't it would have ended up peacefully. I think that there it would have turned violent because the police would have gotten aggressive with them. I don't think they would have been allowed yep. to peaceably assemble there. And so I, you know, the vast majority of people uh, uh, killed by the Spokane Police Department have been native. The vast majority. Uh, it's a huge problem out here. We're in the top 10 uh, for cities with the proportional number of deaths uh, at the hands of police officers. You know what? That's an extrajudicial killing. That's what that is. You've been denied your day in court, a jury by your peers, and you've been killed via cruel and unusual punishment. That's the Constitution. So if that's what people care about in our rural communities or conservative communities, let's address it. It's our job to show them that we're going to do a better job of representing their interests. And that's the path forward. Yeah, that's that's really well said. Um, I also like the idea of how of, of what you said earlier about that, you know, you didn't really want to run as a Democrat. You would have rather maybe ran as an independent. And I think that's essentially why Bernie Sanders ran as an independent, because he didn't want to be attached to either major political party that for the last 20, 30 years, both have kind of abandoned the working class in this country. I think there's a lot to be said for. And I think a lot of people are waking up and kind of getting out of these partisan boxes of red and blue. And that we just want people who are going to go in there and actually represent the people right of by and for the people whereas right now we have a government that's of by and for the giant corporations and we're we're seeing that it's not sustainable it's not sustainable for our planet it's not sustainable for our workforce it's not sustainable in, in our healthcare industry like it's not working and at the center of it for me you can call it predatory capitalism or you could just call it greed it's just this greed that is that has allowed so few in our country to have so much and so many to, to, to barely have anything at all. And I just feel like it's eating at the heart of everything. And if we don't back to like, you're right about the constitution, the ideals in our constitution, despite the fact that some of them are slave owners, they had the right ideals, right? Liberty and justice for all. Like they had it all in there. We're just a will. We're we're a long ways from liberty and justice for all right now. When we have a government that represents the few, and we have the many who are just out there struggling. Well, and part of it is, you know, the Constitution has things that you know are founded on Enlightenment ideals that about human rights. Uh, right. Our country was founded by plenty of slave owners. It was also founded by abolitionists, and they said 
we're going to, this is the American experiment. We're going to create these guiding documents, these guiding principles, these guiding ethics, knowing that we're forming something that us, the people creating it, see as deeply flawed, deeply imperfect, but we're going to try to be better. And I think that's what America is. You know, we, we left the monarchy partially because one person's ideas alone, that's not a good way to run a country. You want conflicting ideas, but the same values. And, you know, that's, 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 that's how we can create a stronger system. Ideally, you know, it's not just, hey, let's unite this country as long as everybody agrees with me. No, let's unite because we have the same morals and values and we can disagree and try to find new solutions. I went on um, Larry Sharp's podcast recently. He's a vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party. Yep. We had a great conversation. He sees direct care as one of the great, as the, as the solution to our healthcare problem. He's, he sees healthcare insurance companies as the middlemen that are the reason the costs are, you know, uh, going the way they are. And I, I'm a Medicare for all person, single payer universal. But in that conversation, I also recognize that I believe direct care would certainly be less corrupt and maybe a, definitely a better solution than what we have right now. I know it would be a better solution than what we have right now. I believe universal single payer is the way to go, but I think it takes a degree of humility and respect to say you're bringing this solution in good faith because you really believe that it will actually help. And that's someone I would work with any day of the week. That's someone I'm okay with disagreeing with because we're actually still trying to find solutions. What, what I heard from you is that you actually took the time to listen to someone else who may not have the same political affiliation that you do or be in the same political party that you are, but that in actually listening to him and him actually listening to you, you were able to kind of get somewhere. And I think that's why we're not getting anywhere right now, because no one's listening to each other. It's again, we're in our tribal corners. We're in it's Democrat, Republican, it's red or blue. And, you know, yesterday I tweeted that, like, I'm not I'm definitely not voting for Donald Trump. And as of right now, I probably won't be voting for Joe Biden mm -hmm. and, because he's not he has done nothing to earn my vote. Um, and I put all my energy into supporting candidates like you and and down ballot progressives who are actually fighting for the working class and fighting for the bold policies we need to move this country forward. Me saying that, I mean, you should see some of the reactions I got from, I didn't even say I like was not voting for Biden. I said like, as of now, he needs to do more to earn my vote. You might, I might as well have said like the most, I mean, people were saying that, that, that I'm a terrible person. I'm going to go to hell. I mean, it, like the responses were so unhinged and so maniacal, but it, it, to me, it just speaks to the level of like how partisan and how divided and how split we are. And it's because both corporate-backed parties have gotten us to this space and they're not, we're not listening to each other and we're just screaming at each other and, and we're never going to move forward if this continues. So thank you for reminding me the power of listening. Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> uh, I that's I'm 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 happy to be part of kind of I think what can be a post-partisan movement or pan-partisan <laughs> um, yeah. you know this this idea of um i i we've built great uh relationships with a lot of different third parties um and uh, a lot of a lot of just un, unexpected 
working relationships with everybody who, I mean, Bernie Sanders worked with um, Ron Paul a bunch. They've, yep. they've worked together plenty because they both want to see the military industrial complex ended. They want to see a lot of similar policies. Uh, and so, you know, that's the path forward and it's down ballot. I, I think that's purely where we make the change. Part of why this country so jacked up is because for decades, almost a century, uh, we've looked at our vote for the president as something that's just going to fix all our problems. This is the person who's going to come in and repair everything that's messed up. And even a president who's completely well-intentioned, if they're going to try and do that, they're going to commit executive overreach. They're going to expand the powers of the executive branch in a way that diminishes the power of our most representative branch of government, Congress, the legislative branch. That matters. Let's strengthen the represented, the most representative portion of our government. The executive, the leader of the executive branch is supposed to execute the wishes of Congress, essentially. That's who we trust to get Congress's will done. Get on Congress. That's where we're going to get it done. You get me in Congress, you're going to see me in there talking about the military industrial complex, talking about police brutality, um, talking about the working class. It ain't going to be one person that fixes it all. It's going to be hundreds of members of Congress and millions of Americans stepping up, getting off the sidelines and deciding they're going to play a role in the future. We are the leaders we've been waiting for. Yeah, and I'm so glad you're hitting on the the military industrial complex, because for me, that is such a part of all of this. And, And the reason is because. When you hear people say that we don't have money to invest in our roads and in our bridges and in our schools and in our health care, uh, and, and, and we don't have money to invest in the American people or to invest in uh, fighting climate change, I sit here to myself and I'm like, our government spends now almost, we're almost at $1 trillion a year on war, on, milita- on our military. And so when people say we don't have enough money for these other things, I'm like, we had like we don't need to be spending almost a trillion dollars a year on a, on essentially blowing up the planet when we could be spending that money on saving the planet and saving our people. For me, it's just a matter of shifting the the of what kind of nation do we want to be? Do we want to be an imperial nation that's always at war and always? Uh, do we want to be a warmongering nation or do we want to be a compassionate nation? Do we want to be a nation that cares about its people and cares about the planet? You show me our budget and, and I'll show you what kind of nation you are. And right now our budget is, is for the military. Audit the Fed, right? That's, that's one of my favorite yeah. things to say because um, folks like it. Let's talk fiscal responsibility. We spend tens of billions of dollars on fighter jets that never get made. And we don't hold Lockheed Martin and other companies responsible for going over budget, over time. Yeah, they're wasting our money. Yeah. That's they're, they're wasting our government's energy, time, money. That's big government. That's the kind of big government I want to get rid of. Not the big government of, you know, that I don't know if, if, if this is smaller government having millions more people off of health insurance while we have uh, record profits for the healthcare industry. That's disturbing. But, yeah, there's a lot of things we can do to have a smaller government. And it starts with the almost trillion dollar war budget. And I, that includes police because the police have become an occupying military force in our own country. We spend $180 billion a year on militarized police forces and mass incarceration. Wow. That, yeah, $180 billion. Yeah. So for me, it's like, 
stop spending so much money on endless wars, mass incarceration, and corporate welfare. We haven't even talked about how much money we spend on corporate bailouts and corporate subsidies and, and giving them giant tax breaks. Spend less money on, on those three things and spend more money on saving our planet with a Green New Deal, saving our people with Medicare for all, and, and maybe even righting some of our nation's wrongs with things like reparations, you know, yeah. and, and really getting to the root of things. So for me, it's just about what kind of nation do we want to be? That would make us a great nation if we stopped investing in so much war and, and so much incarceration and we started investing in, in policies that will actually start healing our people and our planet. But that takes the political courage. And right now we don't have politicians that have the courage to fight for those kind of policies because right now they're just fighting for their corporate donors. You know what we're and right now, <clears throat> oh, you know, like you said, Lockheed Martin, they make money off war. <clears throat> Our healthcare industry, corporations make money off people being sick. You know, um, the, the mass incarceration, people make money by locking people up. So as long as we have for-profit corporations that are profiting off of all of this, and then they're giving donations to politicians to keep the system the way it is, we're going to be here. It's stuck in this moment. And that's why we need people like you and we need to fund people like you and chip in. So we have people that aren't taking these corporate donations that want to get in there and fix all of this stuff. Well, yeah, Lockheed and Monsanto and plenty of other companies would send me checks right now. I'm, I'm, that'd be really easy for me to get those checks. Um, but no, thank you. But it's also a gamble that working class people who are suffering the most can help out right. because I don't have a personal fortune. I just have truth and honesty and policies that are actually going to make a difference. And so, you know, we'll talk about political courage. Every Everyone running in this country as an unbought candidate is demonstrating courage because it's a lot harder to, 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 to gain traction, to get your name out there, to um, you know, build coalitions because you don't have the machine behind you. Uh, you know, political courage matters and you don't always know it's going to work out. You want to talk political courage. You know who wasn't, you know what wasn't a very moderate decision is when uh, President John F. Kennedy decided to de desegregate schools. He, he it took uh, the Army National Guard, the National Guard, was armed and they had to escort young children of color into schools. And, you know, for those children, for the, for the soldiers, for the, uh, for the president, that was a decision that was seen as extreme and not moderate and divisive. How divisive. And we look back on him now as a hero. And that is what the unbought candidates are today of all different ideologies. When you refuse to be funded by Wall Street and the fossil fuel industry. My opponent gets five million, our incumbent politician gets five million every two years. And it's not coming from a district where the last census had our unemployment rate at 11%. 94% of net job growth over the last five years has been the gig economy, Uber Eats. Lyft. I've driven for Uber Eats in the last three years as a as a struggling comic, you know. Uh, and so um, that's that's where we need to unite and say we're going to do what it takes to fight for the not just my future or your future, but the future of our communities, our nation, and humanity.
Yeah. And it, 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 thank you for talking about courage. Thank you for having courage and, and for, for doing this because you're absolutely right. Like the people who are funded by the machine, like if you're running for Congress or you're running for reelection and the machine is funding your campaign, then who are you going to represent when you get into Congress? Or when you get reelected, you're going to represent the machine. You're going to represent the fossil fuel industry. You're going to represent the, the corrupt healthcare industry. You're going to represent the military industrial complex, right? But if, you're, if you have the courage to stand up to, to all of that and, you have, and run for the people and you're funded by the people, who do you think you're going to represent when you get into office? You're going to represent the people. And so really, a lot of this is not Democrat versus Republican. It's really the people versus the plutocracy. You know, it's really the, the people against the machine and against the, the, all of these rigged systems that, that are profiting the few and hurting the many. Um, so it is about courage. Um, I want to shift and I want to touch on a few more things here. Uh, this has been so insightful. You're amazing. Um, the You're pandemic, amazing. Uh, no, you. The pandemics hit the U.S. harder than any other nation. Uh, and cases are now surging again. The United States accounts for over 25% of the world's coronavirus cases, despite the fact that we make up less than 5% of the world's population. What do you blame for the coronavirus hitting America the hardest? Oh, a terrible response. I mean, that's I wrote a COVID-19 response plan fairly early on at the outside of this. Um, you know, I, I've, I have a you know, practical experience as well as education related to disaster preparedness to include pandemic response. Um, I was part of uh, multi-agency exercises related to pandemics, biochemical warfare, natural disasters, and um, you prepare in advance. I mean, Trump said it himself. He closed down the pandemic response team. And I mean, that's that's just the classic mentality of the greed is good 80s businessman mindset is you don't prepare for tomorrow because um, then you need to explain to the shareholders why you're why you're keeping on board some department for an emergency that might not even happen. There isn't it's all short term. It's a cancer that that kind of mindset is a cancer on our society. The mindset of um cut the pandemic response teams, stop testing so much. Um, and, you know, that's how, how cancer was explained to me by a doctor recently was uh, you essentially have a small group uh, or a group of cells that are growing more quickly uh, than everything else and taking away uh, all the nutrients and, and other things that, that the rest of the body needs to live until they metastasize and infect the rest of the body and kill the host because of their greed, because they're taking an outsized portion of resources at the expense and with no care for the host. And the host is our nation. And the cancer is this short-sighted greed and political mindset of, yeah, cut the pandemic response team. Uh, go ahead. That's, that's you know, that, that pandemic response team was, was award-winning. We were preparing. There are experts in this country who have put together plans for years of how to deal with possible emergencies. Um, but at this point, you know, a lot of folks in, in European health circles are saying that it feels like a lot of America's given up. Now, here in Washington State, um, you know, Jay Inslee's done his best to be on top of the uh, response. And right now, our numbers are still, you know, fairly, uh, fairly good compared to a lot of other places. Florida had 9,000 new cases yesterday. And, yeah. um, 
I don't know where we're going to be in a few months. This is, we might end up quarantined from the rest of the world. Uh, our, well, the, Europe's already talking about shutting off its borders to us yep. and not allowing Americans in. You know, Trump's incompetence is a huge part of this. Definitely. I think that was, I mean, that's like the first part. That's the big part of it. But I do think the second part is everything we talked about today in our conversation. The country saw firsthand the consequences of having a government that is owned by corporations and billionaires, because what did both major parties do when this pandemic initially hit? They didn't pass, you know, emergency Medicare for all. They didn't pass rent relief. They didn't even pass month. We haven't even passed monthly universal basic income here. Most countries in Canada, everyone's getting two thousand dollars a month in, in UBI. So, if they, if our, if our, if our, if Congress had done that, people could have stayed at home. They wouldn't have had to go back out to work during the pandemic. But instead, you know, our government bailed out their corporate donors because that's who they work for and that's who they were most concerned about. And so now people don't have the tools and the resources they needed to adequately quarantine themselves. So it's like now they have to go out and work in, in, in a pandemic and risk getting the coronavirus. So it, it's like it's all connected here. And we're seeing that, like, in my head, I'm like, what's the point of even having a government if, like, the government can't keep the people safe during one of the worst pandemics in modern history? Like, this is the whole point of the government. But again, when you have a government that doesn't work for the people, this is what happens. I wonder how many ebooks on uh, how to make a guillotine at home have been made the last few months. <laughs> 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 like, but no, I, I, I completely agree with you. And of course, you know, uh, countries like Canada, you, you just go onto their website, you file, and they've been sending you $2,000 a month per person and your next taxes, they'll sort it out. Um, here, the bailouts go to the richest folks. And it's just about each election cycle. Like I said, it's a cancer because it has no concern for the host. This, this ship will sink as they load their pockets. Um, now, you know, part of the plan I wrote was uh, more focused on the uh, actual response side particularly using the uh, Defense Production Act to create masks, uh, because right now in Washington State, we have mandatory masks implemented. However, you go on public transit, 20% of people who are, 20% of people with schizophrenia are homeless. Not 20% of homeless people are schizophrenic, 20% of people with schizophrenia are homeless. Who's getting them masks? Who's taking care of that? And so we should have been producing masks, ventilators. We should have had private companies doing that right off the bat. And you know what? That like people say, oh, the, the New Deal didn't bring us out of World War II, or bring us out of the Great Depression. It was World War II. Oh, so we built a lot of stuff. The government started having people build a lot of stuff with good wages, and that took us out of it. Well, what it makes building a ventilator or a school or a solar panel any less economically beneficial than building a bomb? Nothing. And so we can use problems as the way that problems can be the solution. Our pandemic response could have been something that invigorated our economy if we dealt with it appropriately. It's freaking 2020. You can order everything you need at home. More of us than ever could work from home. We could have used this as an opportunity to innovate and stay safe. But instead, they're just letting the ship sink and loading their pockets. Yep. Yeah. And, and when you look, I mean, the, the bailout was ridiculous how much money they gave these corporations. And like, like I said, like that was their, our Congress. That was their first priority. Both parties was to bail out these corporations and not to not to get 
not to help the hospitals, not to help the healthcare workers, not to help the, you know, the working class and, and, and our service industry and the people who are out on the front lines. Their first priority was their corporate donors. And that, to me, again, it just cuts at the heart of what is rotten in Washington and why we need to elect people like you. So we actually have people in government whose first reaction when there's an emergency isn't, oh, I need to save my corporate donors. It's, oh, what do we need to do to take care of the 360 plus million Americans that live in the United States? Like how far our government is from being anything that represents you know, a government that is working for the people. It's so outrageous. And um, the last thing I wanna talk about today uh, before we get people to uh, volunteer and donate to your campaign um, is we have to talk about the climate crisis because amidst everything going on right now, it really is the existential crisis of our lifetime. This past weekend, it hit 100 degrees in the Arctic for the first time in history. And yet Republicans and corporate Democrats are both still taking fossil fuel money. Republicans have no climate change plan and corporate Democrats will say climate change is real when they go on CNN or MSNBC, but they don't actually support a Green New Deal. They'll make Speaker a statue. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. They'll make a statue. They'll, they'll have a, a ceremony. Right. <laughs> right. They'll do something symbolic. Uh, Speaker Pelosi recently called the Green, New De- the Green New Deal the Green New Dream. No, Speaker Pelosi, this is not a dream. This is a nightmare. And there won't be a habitable planet left for future generations if we keep letting these corrupt politicians put the short-term profitability of their corporate donors over the long-term sustainability of our planet. Chris, how do we get the nation to collectively come together and understand that we are destroying our planet and that saving our planet shouldn't be a partisan issue? Well, I'll start by saying, I don't know if we actually have to convince everybody. The NRA is an organization I've studied pretty closely and they only have a few million members but they have a massive effect on our elections because politicians are terrified of having the NRA on their good side or their bad side. When I call voters and they say, are you a ba-, they ask if I'm a baby killer or if I'm going to take their guns. Let me tell you something. They donate and volunteer and vote so freaking aggressively based on their wedge issue, their swing issue, whatever it is. We need to be that way for climate. We don't have to convince everybody of this. We need to work our asses off Mm. to make sure not only that we get people who will fight for for real solutions elected, but also get rid of the people who don't. And that's not just Democrats. It's also Republicans, because I'll tell you, it's interesting. Uh, There seems to be a little bit less interest in our race because I'm running against a Republican sometimes. I don't know. It feels like people get more amped about um, – you know, challenging establishment Democrats than than a, a you know, so a Medicare for all Green New Deal candidate challenging a Republican. Um, and I think that's the media. The media wants to feed this Dems in disarray mindset. You know what? Maybe we're getting ourselves in array. <laughs> Maybe that's us getting our shit together is that we have these amazing people challenging folks who've been around a long time and aren't serving their district, serving their district in a way that makes the district happy or satisfied or feel like they're being taken care of. And so uh, that's us getting ourselves together. We need to fight every single fight possible. And this is how we do it is we, we, we need to 
make ourselves that voter. You get a call from a politician, you say, what's your stance on a Green New Deal? What's your stance on climate change? What's your stance on health care? And you are you taking money from the fossil fuel industry? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who gives you your money? I'm there. I'm going to and I will actively work against you because that's what I'll tell you. Another thing is the NRA and a lot of those those conservative groups. They work hard if you if if to get rid of people they don't like too. Um, they they are you know they 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 I mean they also get a lot of dirty money to be clear. Um, yep. But uh, it, it's it's it, the personal responsibility side of it as hard as it is is to say I you know I've <laughs> I've done events around the district where I, I slept in my car because uh, getting an Airbnb wasn't the best use of uh, of, of uh, money we had and, and that's okay you know it's it's uh, I'm sacrificing because um, I'm I'll, I'll, I'll I will bleed for our future and um, not everybody can make that sacrifice some people have families they have children um, they have partners or they're just not in a place in their life where they can do that that's okay. But what you can do, you can send some text messages. You can post on social media. That actually helps too. You can, you know, make phone calls. That that helps. And I know we're exhausted. You know, every minimum wage job I've ever worked, at the end of the day, forget about going to the gym. Forget about, you know, doing anything. I just wanted to turn on a dumb TV show and, right. and just turn off my brain until the next few miserable days were over and I could have a day or two off and that, but that's the thing is we're, we're where we are because the work wasn't put in decades ago. After world war two, we created the UN to try and save future generations from the scourge of war. Um, after the depression, that generation said, Oh, you can end up poor without being a bad person or without being lazy. You can just end up poor for circumstances outside your control. And so that generation actually put in a lot of work to try and prevent future war and then try and prevent um, uh, folks or to try and help people who were impoverished and, and, uh, and limit the amount of poverty. It didn't last long, unfortunately. And um, what's the answer? Fight like hell. That's just it. And you, what you said about the way the NRA and, and how they've only got what they have 2 million members approximately and what the coalition they built. And basically like, if you don't support this, like we're not voting for you. That is exactly what we need to do with climate change, the climate change crisis and the healthcare crisis. If you don't support a green new deal, if you don't support Medicare for all, then you're not getting our vote. Like that is the kind of coalition and the kind of, demands and the kind of fight that it is going to take to pass those policies. So what you said, I think, is right on. And, it, and it, you know, it's interesting. It echoes Lawrence O'Donnell, who's like the liberal hero. You know, he's got this show on MSNBC every night. He used to work it for the DNC and for the Democratic Party. And there's a clip of him that went viral recently. And he basically says, you have to show the Democratic Party that you are capable of not voting for them. Because I worked for the Democratic Party and and we didn't have to listen to the left because the left had nowhere to go. So they would obviously they they message to the to the middle to centrists and moderates. And he's like, you literally have to show them that you won't vote for them unless they support your agenda. And that's kind of what we have to do. If you don't support Medicare for all or Green New Deal, you're not getting our vote. And that will make these corporate Democrats have to support the policies that the people support because the overwhelming majority of the electorate supports Medicare for all and a Green New Deal. 
But uh, but the corporate Democrats and Republicans don't because their corporate donors don't want them to. It's time for our politicians to do what the people want because mm. they work for us. Um, final question for you. Oh, real quick. What have you looked- uh, I just wanted to mention, oh, um, vote for someone though. Like find a candidate who aligns with you and vote for them because um, if when you vote, even not for them, for someone you really believe in, who maybe won't do as well, um, that lets them know that you're willing to turn in your ballot. Because if you're not willing to turn in your ballot or show up to the voting booth, they're not going to put resources into trying to make you happy. That's that. Those are the hardest votes to get is the people who just don't don't show up. Yeah, and so uh, find if it's a third party candidate, if it's you running for office yourself. Um, Participate in the process, but have your morals and values. Don't feel like you need to concede. I wanted to include that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you, you, but, but we can't keep selling out our principles and selling out our values. Like that is how we got here. You know, um, I want to ask you. I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what have you learned about yourself in running for Congress, and what have you learned about America? That's a really good question. I mean. You know, I, <laughs> when I got into this, I, I felt like it's just, you know, it's, I know policy, I can work hard, I can build an organization. I, I've, you know, I've worked as a 911 operator and a first responder, gotten these calls of, of people who, you know, the dad, as a 20 year old, you get a call on the 911 line on base and this, you know, dad's jumping around with his kid on the bed and then the kid hits their heads and unconscious and you have someone who's old enough to be your father calling you begging for help. And I thought that would prepare me. Um, and in some ways it has, you know, we ran, we ran an ad targeted to Trump supporters that said, mad at Democrats, give one a call. And, and that helped. But, um, uh, and I took angry calls for a few days. But um, I, I, I'll tell you, I have learned so much about um, just the importance of not just hearing, not just letting the words someone saying, not just being quiet while they talk, but really, really trying to figure out what their values are, what their concerns are and addressing those. And I think I'm a better listener. Um, I think that I have, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have spent time in places like Tico, Washington, which has a population of 700 in my entire life. I wouldn't have never had a reason to go to places like, you know, Colville maybe, or, or Republic Washington. Um, but going to those places and talking to those folks gave me, I think, more of a capacity to to feel empathy for some folks who I might not have interacted as much with in my life. And, you know, in some ways, I'm more optimistic than ever because I see that uh, you you really can make a difference. It, it's just it's, it's going to be one person at a time, one conversation at a time. But when you get those people to have conversations and them to get other people to have conversations, you know, it'd be amazing how quickly things can move. And so that's, that's, I've learned about myself is I can, you know, I, I can, I can really make that impact just with that, that one-on-one and having people feel heard. What I've learned about our country, um, e pluribus unum, we, we, you know, we, we unite and then we have strength um, or we'll end up like the Soviet union maybe, and just split apart. Uh, <laughs> you know, as long as people feel like it's okay to hate or, um, uh, to hate people they disagree with. And, and there's bad people out there, but you got to defend the rights of people you don't agree with or else That's you right. risk losing your own. That's right. Bam. End of speech. <laughs> Bam. Um, this has been an incredible conversation. You, um, you, you opened my eyes and uh, you made me see things that I hadn't even 
thought of. So I really appreciate you taking the time. How can our listeners um, sign up to volunteer for your campaign? Where can they go to chip in 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever they can right now so we can get someone uh, in Congress who isn't going to work for corporate donors, but actually is going to work for the interests of working people and for the people out there that are struggling right now? Uh, so if you go to Act Blue, uh, Armitage for Congress or Chris Armitage, uh, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E, um, on Act Blue, we only get funded by people deciding that it matters to them. And we have a damn good shot at winning here. But particularly in the age of COVID, every every outreach method pretty much costs money now. And so the face-to-face that we've been doing for you know the, the year before COVID, COVID, uh, it's it's not as much of an option. It looks like we're on the verge of, of even more cases. And so um, it's really important right now, uh, if you can contribute that way via ActBlue, uh, but also volunteering, <clears throat> uh, text banking, phone banking, postcard writing, um, sharing things on social media as well, creating groups to help share things that makes a difference. And you can volunteer. Where do they sign up to phone bank? Uh, so um, if you go to armitageforcongress.com, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E-F-O-R, congress.com, uh, slash volunteer, or just go to the main website and there's a volunteer section on there. Um, and and they can they can probably, there's probably an act blue link from the armitageforcongress.com. Yes, there is also a donate link on there. Um, So armitageforcongress.com to donate or volunteer. And also I'm really accessible and easy to get a hold of. Um, We've reached over 100,000 voters in this district in the last few weeks, and we want to ramp that up, but it takes people power. And so, um, you know, be a part of this because when, when we win this race, you get to feel proud. You get to feel the truth that uh, there's one more vote in Congress for Medicare for all and and a Green New Deal and all these different things because of the actions you took. And I want to make you proud. I want to make the the American public proud to say this guy's out there and he he actually cares and is working hard um, and is doing it the right way for us. And so you make me proud. (laughs) How uh, and how can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, Handle Armitage 2020 WA, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E 2020 W-A. I like to say our Twitter is litter, but that makes it sound like trash. So it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've seen some of your tweets. You've got some good tweets. Your tweet game is strong, which I think is important in this new climate where so much of the campaigning does happen online. So your message is getting out there. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on today. And uh, thank you for being in this fight and keep in touch. uh, Let's talk soon. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Before I close the show, we got to thank our Patreon subscribers that help make this podcast possible. But before I do that, I just... One more time. I mean, Chris, what a stand-up guy. Please, if you can, chip in five bucks, ten bucks, fifteen bucks. Go to his website. It's armitageforcongress.com. If all of our listeners pitched in five bucks, we could help him raise over five thousand uh, dollars over this weekend, which he needs uh, to get his message out there and to to beat a Republican. And it's a pretty close race. So Uh, Please help support uh, a Democrat who supports Medicare for All and a Green New Deal. 
Uh, this is the kind of uh, candidate that we need to elect so we have a Congress that works for us and not uh, for them, not for the corporations and billionaires. Uh, so please, uh, if you can, do that. And I, here is our list of Patreon subscribers that I want to thank for making this possible today. Uh, Alexandra Orso, Alan Wood, Ari Slater, Colin Bowden, Efren Bodakis, Eileen O'Farrell, Elizabeth Kim, Insurgent, John Lloyd IV, Mary Fancher, Matthew Hahn, Michael Hardy, Molly Secors, Patty Cleary, Ruben Sanchez Jr., Russell Whitworth, Shanna Pearson, Trent Tobler, and Walter Hackett. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. And if you'd like to become a Patreon subscriber, you can go to patreon.com slash proud socialist. I appreciate all the support for helping me bring you these down ballot progressives every week. And I'll catch you next week with an all new episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight.